0: Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You are listening to Powerbombs and Potables brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerbombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can also follow us on Instagram and untapped At Process Potables, make sure to follow uh, our other shows that are all part of the one network, the Podcast Potables Network. We just dropped another uh, post-game potables after the Eagles win on Sunday night. Uh, So much more Process Potables coming back this week. Doc Rivers, the new coach in as the host of the Sixers. And then, of course, Punches and Potables, which recap MMA. There was another UFC Fight Night card this past weekend, which Paul Ryan and Rob Huber talked about, so they got more stuff. There's fights every damn weekend, so make sure you subscribe into one and only Podcast Potables Network, because that's going to have everything that you need in the world of sports. For news, blog posts, info and breweries we've worked with and more, you can check out www.processpotables.com. Well, last night, NXT 31, wow. What a main event. And we're going to talk about it right next. We're going to start it off on power bombs and potables. And welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables, right here on the podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates, and I'm here with you to talk what happened the last week in professional wrestling. Boy, did some stuff happen. We're going to talk about some bad stuff, too. But that's the beauty of the show. We're going to break it down for you uh, in the way that I can do. All right, I'm going to tell you how it is, how I feel, and the way uh, that it went down. But we're going to... Uh, Do everything the way that we should be. This is the podcast Potables Network. I don't care if it's Monday night. There we go. All right. Cracking cold ones here. Quick swig of beer. And let's dive right into it. So last night, Sunday night, NXT TakeOver 31, which emanated live, not from Full Sail University. The WWE announced that uh, they have now moved their tapings back to the performance area. Now, you'd think, okay, this is TakeOver. They have the Thunderdome right now. Why don't they just use the Thunderdome for the for the pay-per-view? Well, I think that being that there was that NXT uh, breakout of COVID a couple weeks back, they don't want to intermingle the... Uh, NXT stars with the main roster stars. So they have revamped the performance center and now referring to it as the Capital Wrestling Center, All right, So this is the first event from there. It looks a thousand times better than it did. Uh, months passed when it was being used for everything else they've uh, gotten a better staging in there and it doesn't look like they're in a gym it looks almost like it would in full sale. Uh, they have a flat screen up on the top so you can get the Thunderdome like experience with the crowd but they also have uh, still fans that are there now these fans that are there they look like NXT people they're behind a plexiglass window uh, but they have uh, a chain link fence, which really covers up the plexiglass and gives it a more, uh, I guess, brawling, rugged feel. I, it's it covers the plexiglass, and you know that that's what was bothering them in the first place, and probably helps with uh, glare uh, from the camera. Now uh, this show only had five matches. Honestly, so one of the best things about NXT Takeovers, you everything gets time. When we open this show. With the North American title, it is uh, Damian Priest who won the title back at uh, Takeover for the SummerSlam, and, uh, which you assume would have been—I uh, don't know what the, actually what they even called it—was it Takeover Thirty. That's what it was. That, but they did it on SummerSlam uh, weekend. He won won that in the, uh, the ladder match against Johnny Gargano here. Who Johnny needed the turn. He needed that heel turn and. This heel turn, I just it it's not working for me, and it's not saying that I want him to be babyface either, but just this isn't connecting. This match uh, was not a... I wouldn't say a coming out party for Damian Priest, because this guy has been proving himself over and over again. But now that he's finally been able to be the guy who got the title, it was always he was having these great matches, but putting the other guy over, he's the one... Now that's getting the opportunity to do stuff here. My biggest issue with this, in the end, um, he let's just do some of the highlights. Let's will break down my thoughts at uh, at the end of it. So early on, Gargano got a heel kick, uh, followed by uh, a right hand uh, early, which jacked uh, Damian Priest. And this uh, really goes into my thought later. And I'm just going to say it now. You know, I was going to do it, but once I started with the notes, Johnny Gargano. Is 175 pounds and what 5'7, five, 5'8? Five, Damian Priest is 6'4, I think, 6'3, six, 6'4, six, 250 pounds. He's the baby face here. It is extremely difficult for me to have the taller, heavier, babyface champion selling for the smaller, lighter heel challenger. And, and things like that. When you're looking up to the guy, and the guy looking down at you is supposed to be the baby face, there's a disconnect there. Obviously, Gargano can't do anything about his height, but that usually, in years past at least, would really be what kind of held people back from getting their push. While the guys who were bigger, larger than life, were the ones who got the rocket strapped to him and uh, were pushed to the moon here. Uh, Priest eventually uh, got the Razor's edge, uh, but he had been going for it the whole match. Uh, That's kind of become one of his uh, setup moves, is the Razor's edge. It's pretty cool. You know, Scott Hall, uh, back in my day, the 90s, uh, stuff like that. But but, but here in the end, Gargano ends up hitting a low blow and a super kick, uh, which made for a a good false finish. There was false finishes all over the show, but that's what NXT does to you. Uh, eventually they they tease a spot uh where we're going to throw um, into the steps but Priest uh got Gargano with a kick instead with the uh and then he hit the reckoning for the win. This match was a great uh, showcase if you will for Damian Priest but not anything for Johnny Gargano and I was tweeting about that uh, on our page at Powerbombs PPN that Priest was out to prove a point tonight, and he did it, but but Johnny Gargano just is not connecting for me. Uh, Up next, Kushida versus the Velveteen Dream. Uh, Now, Kushida comes out. Now, this is a street fight, I do believe. If not, they were both dressed. They were both out there in jeans. Traditionally, Kushida dressed like a time traveler, almost like Back to the Future themed with his tights. So naturally, Velveteen Dream, who always has some form of cosplay esque design, comes out pretty much dressed like Doc Brown. He's got the white hair. He's got uh yellow hazmat looking gloves on. I got his point, but it uh it just wasn't really connecting for me. I feel what really connected with with uh the Dream was back when he was kind of. Between the babyface and heel coming out as Hollywood Hogan and stuff like that that people could connect to, uh, this match was again, it was, it exceeded the expectations that I had for it. But the problem is, is that I find that Velveteen Dream is still so young that he's pretty one dimensional, and him now back being in this heel. And them kind of accepting that the crowd in general has turned on him since the speaking out allegations has uh, really kind of made him try harder. But him trying harder isn't really doing much for anybody. Uh, In the end, uh, Dream went for the Purple Rainmaker, uh, but Kushida uh, kicked out. Kushida hit the hoverboard lock. Dream actually got him up and hit the Dream Valley driver, but Kushida did not let go of the hoverboard lock, kept it locked in, and eventually the Dream tapped out. All in all, this match uh, was good, but there was elements... I'll say it here. To me, if you take away the main event, which we'll get to, all these other matches could have just been on TV. Isaiah Swerve Scott versus Santos Escobar for the NXT Cruiserweight title. I, all, all uh, honestly, I was driving to uh, Steve's of Process Potables to watch the Sunday Night Football game, so that we could watch that and cover that on post-game potables. While I was watching this, while I was driving, so I listened to this match more than uh, driving. This match had a lot, and I mean a lot of false finishes. And eventually, they got the the crowd there. Uh, Some of the highlights near the end here. uh, Escobar got the Phantom Driver, but Scott kicked out of that. And uh, he set up with three amigos. Uh, This match had a frog splash. and, And the frog splash has become the move that everybody seems to do across WWE. And it needs to stop. And nobody should be doing a frog splash unless your name is Montez Ford. And I'm just going to say that. Now, we go next for the NXT Women's Championship. Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae. I've been saying for a while now, I think it's time to put the belt on Candice LeRae. Not saying that she's great or that I think that she should have it. But I feel that after everything you've done, You've had her in here as a babyface. You've had her in here as a heel. Quick back to a babyface, then back to a heel. It was time to finally do that. Now, my other thought process behind it was this. Is Io Shirai, they've teased her and Rhea Ripley. Quick swig of beer. And Rhea Ripley has not actually gotten the title shot yet, but they've really protected Io Shirai this past year, especially once they turned her babyface. WWE logic here would be, well, we don't want to bury either of them. So we'll put the belt on Candice LeRae and then have Rhea Ripley take it from her. That's my logic there. Plus, you have a, a five-card pay-per-view with four title matches. You got to have at least one title change. Once again, WWE logic. Um, But not. not, not, That uh, was not to be. Uh, Eventually, this match in the end breaks down. They do a ref bump which naturally brings Johnny Gargano out uh, with a referee's shirt, and he throws it on. Uh, EO kicked out at this point from the wicked stepsister. Uh, Gargano got the title, slid it to LeRae uh, while he distracted the referee, and they did the belt shot for another two-count that EO kicked out of. Uh, eventually, Johnny threw a, a, a fit on the outside of the ring because, you know, He's the one in the match. This is really great. Uh, eventually, Shirai hit a Spanish fly and a moonsault uh, to win the match here and retain the title. Now, uh, they've been teasing for the last two weeks that a former champion was returning to the company. Now, week one, they made it seem like it was going to be a man. And all the uh, internet was saying, well, it has to be either Bobby Roode or Bo Dallas. Fast forward to this past week's NXT and it was made it seem like it was a man and a woman coming back with the same motive. So right after this match, Tony Storm appears on the screen behind the ring and says that she is officially back in NXT. So, good to see Toni Storm come back. Toni Storm's not the world's greatest promo, but she's still also very young. uh, And she's, in my opinion, very good in the ring for her age. And we haven't seen her in a long time. And she hasn't had much NXT main roster experience. So, she's right up there, fresh blood, to give this uh, division some new life. And I'm okay with that. Right after that, we get the motorcycle vignette again, and we're assuming that okay, well, that was Tony Storm, and this is just going to be Tony Storm who arrives in on a motorcycle, comes into the arena, and comes out of the stage, takes off her helmet for it to be Ember Moon who has now returned. Which hey, great for Ember Moon who had an I believe an Achilles injury that she tore, and it was worse than they thought. They said that she might not even be able to return to the ring. Naturally, you know, she hurt her uh, Achilles if you recall in a hard fought chase for the 24/7 title on a Monday night Raw episode. Yeah. So now Ember Moon is now back from the main roster onto NXT and you have Tony Storm. They're really stacking that women's roster again, which is the reason why when I said back months ago, months ago when Charlotte Flair was the champion, that I was okay with them just feeding these girls to Charlotte, just give them all time. You have more depth and time to give in NXT than anywhere else. Make these girls all-stars. Did they do that? Not really. Main event on this show, Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly for the NXT world title. Now, these two guys, I was not sure at first if I wanted to buy in to this. But the more I talked to myself about it, This past week, I was never a Kyle O'Reilly fan, but the fact that these two are so well-matched and the build-up package of this was great, I was sold. I bought in to this match. These two went 28 minutes, 28 seconds, and I'm not going to lie. It felt like they went for 40, and I'm okay with that. This match was a Japanese strong-style match to the fullest, these guys beat the living hell out of each other, so many holds, so, it was everything, the, the, the jiu uh, training, uh, not, um, I said jujitsu. I meant to say Muay Thai, of Kyle O'Reilly really came in here, and, and him and Finn Balor had just a tremendous match, uh, the story that they seem to be telling the whole time is when, when Balor was working over, Kyle O'Reilly, he was working the ribs, which is the main area where he'll drop for the coup de gras. Simple story: uh, everything from knee strikes to slaps to just anything he could do to take out those ribs. Eventually, Balor connected uh, with the, the 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 face of Kyle O'Reilly and busted him open hard way. Uh, to me. At first, I thought they were starting to sell the old uh, Ken Shamrock uh, rib injury, where he had gotten so much damage that he was starting to cough up blood. And um, probably about 20 minutes into this match, I started to fear that they were going to send the, 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 the Undisputed Era down to the ringside, which, in my opinion, if you're trying to build Kyle O'Reilly as a singles competitor, you instantly kill any momentum that you or credibility that you've given him. So I'm glad that they did not send the Undisputed Era down here. This was 30 minutes almost of one-on-one, no-bullshit wrestling. If there's one match to go back and watch from the last month of wrestling, it is this match here. Eventually, uh, O'Reilly gave the uh, the old receipt to Finn. Caught him with a knee to the jaw, which Finn had to go to the hospital afterwards uh, to get some x-rays on. But these both these guys ended up bleeding uh, from the mouth. Eventually this uh, match ends with Balor uh, hitting the coup de gras and uh, for the the win. Bravo. That's all I can say. And I was you know really kind of on a high after this. Until they flashed the camera to the other side of the ring, and I had to do a double take here because I thought I saw Pat McAfee, but no, it was not Pat McAfee, it was Ridge Holland, who had Adam Cole just battered on his shoulders, and he just tosses him over the the barrier, out to the ringside, Bobby Fish and uh, Roderick Strong come out, and they call for the medics as they go to black. I didn't like the ending because I felt it took away from this match. After these two guys just beat the shit out of each other, your focus at the end is on a guy that we haven't seen taking out your new babyface, not even champion Adam Cole. I didn't I didn't think that that was very necessary here. That was something that you could have done and played out on TV this week. That's all I'm going to say about that. Quick swig of beer before I get into a very hot button topic of news this week. So, I don't have all the logistics in front of me. I'm going to talk about all the things that I've read and can remember about it. So, it came down about a month ago at this point that the WWE has uh, told all of their wrestlers that they are no longer able to use their likeness. And when I say likeness, it means Charlotte Flair's real name is not. Charlotte Flair her name is Ashley Fleer now if Ashley Fleer were to go on to cameo and sell herself doing promos under Ashley Fleer that's fine but for her to go on cameo as Charlotte Flair a essentially character a name a brand that the WWE owns They had to cease operations of that. Now, you look at the biggest thing that the WWE wrestlers do, and that would be Twitch. So I think about guys like Austin Creed. Well, you know him as Xavier Woods, who has built an entire empire, it seems, for life after wrestling that he started years ago on Twitch and uh, has always used his real name, Austin Creed. And I recall back on a podcast that I believe he did with Stone Cold. Where he said that he built that brand because he's like, one day, I'm not going to wrestle anymore. And I need to start now building my brand for life after wrestling. Which was extremely smart on his part. Now, guys like that are going to be okay. Ideally, People like Paige was using her Twitch account as Paige. She has since changed her name onto a real name, Soraya Knight. The WWE this past week now sent out a second memo saying that, in I believe they said four weeks, all, all Twitch and content like that, whether it's under their name or the WWE's names, the WWE is going to now take full control over. They will receive some of the money that they receive, but not even all of the money that they would receive from endorsements and sponsorships through the pages. The money that they are getting, the the portion that they're going to get, Is coming out of their downside guarantee. Because the WWE is looking at it as. Well. You have a. Well. Let's backtrack. There's a company called All Elite Wrestling. That started one year ago. uh, Officially on TV this week. And the WWE started signing people. At ridiculously high downside guarantees. Just so they wouldn't jump ship. Okay. Okay. So the problem with that is nobody expected a worldwide pandemic. These people are signed for downside guarantees, 150, 200 dates a year. And instead, they might be making, if anything, 50. And that's me pushing it. You're, that, you're, that's me saying that you're on TV every single week. You're on every single pay-per-view and special event and maybe a crossover or two. So what they're doing to make up for it is they're just taking everybody's uh, revenue. So there's two sides of the the, the coin here. It's, well, you know, these people essentially on their own have taken out their own free time and built this brand. Whereas WWE looks at it as, well, if you were working, which you should be because you're supposed to be doing this many dates, then you wouldn't have this free time to be making this extra money. So we're just going to take that. Here's the thing, Andrew Yang has been a very big advocate for wrestlers being a part of a union, which, for what it's worth, would probably kill the business completely, but I will say this, is he had, the WWE is in for a rude awakening if a Democrat ends up in the White House this coming January, when everything switches over. But as for now, WWE looks at it as pretty much they're untouchable, and you know, the crazy thing is this, for a company that in 2020 has let go of employees, some as far back as 36 years with the company, for a company that has lost all of their house shows, for a company that is now taking away extra money that they're quote-unquote, independent contractors, not employees, are making, this year has been a highly profitable year for the WWE. Still. So, part of me says that the WWE is going to eventually face the backlash of this, and things might eventually work themselves out, but right now, it's... uh." not looking too good once again, and the WWE is kind of just digging themselves more and more as the natural heel company that nobody wants to be affiliated with. Okay, we're going to move on to some stuff that actually happened on TV this week and just discuss that stuff. FTR in the first uh, ever uh, Touch of Glory Tag Team Challenge match, they had their first uh, match here with SCU, and it was Scorpio Sky... And Frankie Kazarian. And this match uh, was, you know, it was great. You got veterans in there. You got FTR in there. You have tag ropes being used. I want to talk about the finish. The finish is a classic wrestling heel finish um, where. You have the babyface inside the ring looking to suplex the heel from the outside of the ring. The manager, in this situation, Tully Blanchard, scoops the leg. The heel falls onto the babyface. The manager holds the ankle where the referee can't see it, and you get the three count. This was done in uh, Mid-South JCP a lot. The only time I can really remember it ever happening up north was WrestleMania 5. Uh Bobby Heenan uh, did that to the Ultimate Warrior, and Rick Rude became... The Intercontinental Champion. Uh, I love. 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 FTR. And this tag division is so stacked. That when we actually get them. In these matches. Them being FTR. uh, They're going to have so much to to work with that these guys are going to definitely run with the titles for a while the only thing that makes no sense to me and i'm just going to tap into my next point here that i have is once again this week we had the young bucks who we only had matt there not nick but there was a mysterious second foot in a super kick on tony shivani you've built up the young bucks versus FTR, made it a thing that they they were making you imagine would happen or could happen for years, and we finally get them both under the same umbrella, under the same roof, in the same company, and what do we do? We turn them both heel at the exact same time. Now, part of me says that that's just to keep them from actually facing each other, but the thing is, is they're both heels. And FTR is consistently taunting the Young Bucks at this point. So it's really kind of gray. And I'm not sure how long they're going to be able to hold out on this for. Not necessarily a fan of the Young Buck heel turn here unless there's some form of payoff. You know, We've been talking about a potential Kenny Omega uh, heel turn. We've been talking about a potential Hangman heel turn. I don't know. So they announced on the show that there's going to be an eight-man tournament, single elimination. In the finals will be at Full Gear in November, where the winner will receive a title shot at the AEW World Title. And they only announced the first 3 of the 8 guys and it's going to be Jungle Boy, Ray Phoenix, and Kenny Omega. I don't know. Something tells me that at some point they're going to they if they're turning Kenny Omega heel, they're doing it with the belt on him. Or he's going to get it really quick after that, which kind of puts the kibosh on any potential MJF chances at this point. Uh, Like I was kind of hoping that they were still going to go back for at full gear. We'll see how that uh, actually plays out. But back to the FTR thing. FTR is that I can't say enough good things about them. Everything from how crisp they are to the, the fact that they're a breath of fresh air. That these guys can go. They, br- they, 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 they do moves. It's not flashy. They don't. There's no dives because you don't need dives. These guys do everything they can as a team that still make you go, wow, shit. Look, that double pile driver in the middle of the ring. Where the guy comes out less scathed from the move that looks bad to the dive to the outside that looks horrible or hurts the guy. It's just common sense here. Uh, also on AEW this week, we had Cody answer the the challenge of Brody Lee, and he accepts in probably the worst Cody promo ever, where he says, as a Veep, as a executive vice president, he cannot sanction or accept a match against Brody Lee for a uh, dog collar match and a bloody brawl to be on TV, and he walked out of the ring. Then he came back in the ring, fired up, and said that he says no to not accepting the challenge or some fucked up bullshit. Got all fired up, and that brought out Brody Lee, and we had a horrible pull-apart that was not set up properly, and, um, and it caused Brandy to come out, even. Come right out and get on the top rope, and all 130 pounds of her, dive onto... You know, about a thousand pounds of guys who all tumbled like dominoes after they caught her, of course. This was bad. It was really bad. I'm looking forward to the match. And part of me says that they're already going to put the belt back on Cody here. But the thing is if they don't put the belt back on Cody here, then what next? What's the next step for this guy? I don't even know if Arn Anderson's still gonna be with him because we have not seen Arn. I would have thought, if anything, we would have seen Armed with him this week on TV, but we didn't. So there's that. We also saw the return this week of Dr. Britt Baker DMD. She went in a one on one match in, uh, against an enhancement talent, but it was just great to see her back. She looked good. So I'm um, hoping that they're eventually going to now get to full gear. I'm assuming you're going to get Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker for the title and if you're smart you put the belt on Britt Baker at this point and just let her run with it while she's hot which is what they should have done before they irresponsibly had Chris Statlander drop Nyla Rose right onto her leg on national television. That also being said, uh, this week we celebrate Chris Jericho's 30th anniversary where him and Jake uh, Hager are going to take on friggin Dr. Luther and some other jabroni. (sighs) Moving on to other points from this week that I have here, Uh, Ring of Honor. We're going to talk about Ring of Honor real quick and the pure tournament that I've been talking about. We've been getting two matches every single week. A new episode uh, drops every single Monday night on Fight TV. It is free, people. Six o'clock, one hour long. Watch it. Two matches, always good. Uh, I'm just going to quick go over so far what we have in this tournament, and I praise this matchup but down the first week uh, Jay Lethal beat Dalton Castle uh, in block A tournament Uh, Jonathan Gresson defeated Wheeler Yuta in block B the following week David Finley in block A uh, took on Rocky Romero uh, for the win he beat uh, Azucar there Uh, that same show in block B Delirious uh, was defeated by Matt Seidel who interestingly enough is now in AEW Interesting to see how they're working that one out. I know that somewhere at these tapings EC3 was. We've yet to see him actually show up on these shows. Uh, We have Silas Young, who uh, we had Silas Young uh, lose to Fred Yehe in block A competition, and Josh Woods uh, defeated Kenny King in block B. And uh, this week's episode, which just dropped tonight, so I've not had a chance to actually watch it yet. Uh, we have Tracy Williams taking on Russ Taylor and PJ Black, uh, the former Justin Gabriel, if you remember him from WWE, uh, against Tony Deppen. So make sure you go out of your way to watch Ring of Honor. It's free, people. And uh, they're doing a great job doing a sports-based uh, wrestling show. Which And hey, wasn't that what AEW was supposed to be? Sports-based? I don't think so. So Impact Wrestling uh, had their Victory Road pay per view uh, this past weekend. Now it was a uh, Impact app exclusive, but it used to be one of their main pay per views. Uh, but they are going, you know, a little crazy against the grain this month for a company that does maybe three pay per views a year. They're doing two in one month. Sunday the 24th is Impact uh, Bound for Glory. Well, maybe it's a it's a Saturday night. I'm so used to Sunday pay-per-views, but Impact switched to Saturdays a long time ago. Quick, Swig of Beer. This show, in my opinion, was just a glorified episode of Impact, which was kind of, uh, I don't know, unnecessary if you ask me. But they did it. Um, Some notable things. I I enjoyed the Brian Myers-Tommy Dreamer match. Some people are shitting over the fact that Tommy Dreamer is still in the ring. Tommy Dreamer has been the guy that pretty much puts over all the heels that you're trying to build up. He's been doing it in that company for four years. He put over Eddie Edwards when he was a heel. In a big, bloody feud that they did. Now look at Eddie Edwards. He was the champion a couple months ago. He's you know one of the top baby faces with the company. Uh, I know that that's just the first thing that comes to my head, and I know that he's consistently in and out. Right now, he's in and out with Eric Young. Brian Myers is his newest one, and this week tomorrow night, Brian Myers. Uh, I don't know if they're having a match, but he says that he's bringing the innovator of violence to Impact TV tomorrow night. So should probably watch that one. Um, Tenille Dashwood and Jordan Grace have been having a best of three, which Tenille Dashwood won two weeks ago on Impact uh, TV. Jordan Grace won this past week. And then Tenille won the rubber match on the show Saturday night. Uh, I'm assuming that, and we already know that as for the women, later on we're going to get uh, Kylie Ray versus Deanna Perrazzo for the uh, knockout championship at Bound for Glory. Uh, The match of this show, in my opinion, was Ace Austin versus Josh Alexander versus uh, Carl Anderson versus Alex Shelley. Uh, All four guys, parts of tag teams, Ace Austin with Madman Fulton, Josh Alexander part of the North with All Ego, Ethan Page, Carl Anderson with the Good Brothers, uh, the Big LG and Alex Shelley, of course, one half of the Impact World Tag Team Champions, the Motor City Machine Guns, with um, Chris Sabin. These guys had a, a a solid match in the middle of this show, and uh, the the big thing at the end, they ha- you have a match here for the title, Impact World Title. That is Eric Young versus Eddie Edwards. That saw uh, Eric Young come out on top. But then afterwards, Rich Swann hit the ring. It really seems like Impact's going the direction of Rich Swann to become the world champion, which I am not for. Rich Swan, I don't think he deserved to be stuck as a cruiserweight in the WWE, but Rich Swan, where do you go from there? Where do you go from there if you put Rich Swan as the world champion? He's a white meat babyface who, realistically was picked up because he was charismatic and he could go in the ring. But there are guys on that roster that easily could beat him. Even his friends like Willie Mack. So I don't see... They're trying to tell the good story, the heroic story of the guy who almost had the the career-ending injury, realistic injury here, that fights back from it and then overcomes all obstacles to become the champion. <sighs> the last time they tried to do a really cool angle where it was, you know, let's tell a great story was when Tessa Blanchard won their world title and then decided to not show up the TV tapings for four months before they finally had to take the belt off of her. I'm not saying that's happening with Rich Swann, but what I'm saying is you're going to do a heroic story For what? For it to go to shit? I mean, even the best people. Look at Daniel Bryan. Every time you did the heroic story with him, he was fed a pile of shit, and he ate the shit. He wins the title at WrestleMania 30. The Superdome's going crazy. It's fanfare. He comes out, goes 30 minutes with Triple H, goes another 20, 25 minutes with Randy Orton and Batista in the main event, wins the title. For them to put him in a feud with Kane. It's all about booking here. And you have to think ahead. And I know that Don Callison and Scott Demore are are great at what they do. Impact is so low key. I, I'll say it. They are ahead of WWE. In my enjoyment of watching wrestling. I would say right now. It's AEW. It's Impact. It's WWE. NXT definitely at the top of the WWE food chain. Probably if you're looking at the WWE food chain, it's NXT 1. It's SmackDown 2. It's Raw 3. And that's all I have to say about that. This past Friday on SmackDown, they finally joined The Fiend and Alexa Bliss together. And I don't know. I just got some kind of strange vibe from it. What it says to me is it's almost like the Demogorgon from Stranger Things and how the main um, the main uh, mo- monster, whatever it is, I'm, I haven't watched the show in a year because of COVID. There's not a new season this year and I don't have time to rewatch shows, but the main being that possesses people. And it controls them. It slowly gets more and more people that it comes in contact with. Now, first, obviously, it was Bray Wyatt, and now it's overtaken Bray Wyatt. But now it's overtaken Alexa Bliss. So, to me, what makes sense is you have to have an end game here. The end game has to be eventually. I would assume. The Fiend has to overtake more people. Eventually, more people then will have to... Somebody is going to have to be the hero here and just eliminate The Fiend and basically set all of these people free. That's what it seems to me like they're doing. But it's going to take a long time for them to actually do that if they do it right. If they do it right. Because they could just do what the WWE is doing and that is giving you Bailey versus Sasha Banks... This Friday night on Smackdown. Are you fucking kidding me? I've been talking about this, and I will be just as negative consistently for as long as they decide to do things like this. Now, part of me says that this is merely a... Well, there's one of two things. One, this is just merely a tease because they want you to think that it's going to be so you can tune in, because this is night one of the draft. Yes, the draft returns this Friday night, and then it will continue Monday night on Raw next week. So it could be to get people to tune into the draft, or it could be because, well, they're going to move one of the two to another show to try and stretch this out longer. Uh, I have no words. I have no words for that. Um, Couple more notes. Roman Reigns once again is going to face Jey Uso, and this time in a Hell in a Cell match at the pay-per-view later this month. Now, my problem with this is how they went about it. Roman Reigns is cutting some cool yet strange promos. He basically goes up to Jey. And tells him how the match that they had last week at Clash of Champions was the worst night of his life. He didn't want to have to do what he did. He It upset him. But it was all because he was disrespected by Jay. So at this point, I'm like, okay, cool. This is a turn. He's being a little shithead. And then he goes, what, What? you want another title shot? I'll just, I'll just give it to you. You got it. Why? Jay so says nothing. and He just gets another title shot. It was just really weird. I didn't like how it was done. Uh, But like we talked about last week, I think that this is just so you can get Jimmy back. Obviously you need to stretch it out because Jimmy's still definitely not ready to go. Uh, So we're just going to continue having Roman beat up Jay. I'd like to think by Survivor Series, you'll have somebody else for Roman. Uh, Maybe Jimmy will be okay to go by the Rumble. So this way, if you get The Rock for 37, maybe that'll work. Speaking of WrestleMania 37, it was announced that the WWE is pulling out of Los Angeles for 37. We're coming back. We're going to try Tampa one more time at Raymond James Stadium. Because even at this point, Florida's the Wild West. They're selling tickets to sporting events, and uh, so that's where people are migrating to. So, I'm thinking that by April, you could probably get 15,000 paid fans into Raymond James Stadium. WWE is not going to leave Florida right now because they kind of have a lot of pull down there. And the fact that they can probably slide people into these buildings eventually and start having people. Remember, the Thunderdome runs out at the end of this month. They only have a lease with the Amway Center until October the 31st. So, we'll see where they end up with that. Monday night, Randy Orton shows up, leaves the building, uh, and then returns at the end of the night to attack Shawn Michaels, Christian, Big Show, and Ric Flair. <sighs> There was, an, there was some aspects of this that I liked, and a lot of aspects that I absolutely hated. Now, here's what I liked. I liked the fact that you knew he was coming back, but it was very creative to have Randy Orton show up dressed as a janitor. That's what I liked. He then walks up to the door. He shows his face, which I didn't agree with. doing. I felt he did that too early. He walks in the room. He then shuts the light off while all four of the guys are playing poker, which they have been the whole night. And then they proceed to pipe in all sorts of like Looney Tunes sound effects for the next 30 seconds. Then they turn the light back on and all four guys are laid out and Orton is still standing exactly where he was when he turned the lights out. Then he walks back out gets back at the janitor cart, and then starts walking away. Good idea, bad execution. Orton, I did not know that it was even Orton. It didn't click at first that it was Orton to me when he walked up. All you needed to do was have him go into the room, have him come out of the room, hear the struggle in the room, have him come out of the room, have the camera go in there, quick see that everybody's laid out, follow him back to the cart, and then he starts walking. As he starts walking down the hallway, when all the officials came running, once they're past it, you have him stop, turn around, and reveal his face then, and you fade to black. Much more effective, in my opinion. Plus, it also cuts down on all the nonsensical sign, uh, sign uh, sounds, can't even put words together that they were piping in for this segment. That's just my take on it. And uh, that's it. Everything else that I had passed that I've already touched on. Uh, this week, Chris Jericho 30, night one of the draft. No pay-per-views this week, which I'm very happy of. And we'll try and get you a brand-new edition this coming Sunday, of course. This week, we have a brand-new um, process potables we'll have a brand new punches and potables most likely as well as another post game potables uh, right after the eagles game this coming sunday uh against the steelers so we'll talk to you next uh week till then stay safe and stay over